This is the Ipsy SDA Media Network. God is still on the throne. He's not surprised. He's not stressed out. He hasn't broken a sweat. He is still a loving God, and he is drawing us and calling us today to see the invisible. How do you see something that you can't see? Today we wanted to go into the Word of God. If you don't mind, we want to get right into the Word of God. Is that all right? I want to get right into the Word of God. I wanted to read again in your hearing. 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 18, 16 through 18. The Word of God says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Hmm. Let me pause today. Ipsy and Ecos do not lose heart today. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Pray with me today. Heavenly Father, hide me behind the cross of Calvary. May I disappear now, Lord. May Jesus appear in the minds of your hearers. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Speak to me, through me, for me, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are still my strength and my redeemer. And we're praying this in the matchless name of Jesus. Let all God's people say amen. Amen. Two times in this chapter in 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul uses this sentence, Do not lose heart. I came by today, Ipsy and Ecorse and our friends who are joining us online to remind us, do not lose heart, friends. For our light affliction, hmm, Paul identifies and talks about the crisis that we're going through, and he calls it a light affliction, mm -hmm, which is but for a moment. Uh, we want to stop right here because Paul Somebody might be wondering, preacher, I'm going through a lot in my life. Have you not looked at the news? It doesn't seem like it's light at all. It seems like it's serious affliction. Well, please understand that Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 is not calling our suffering or your suffering light. Childhood cancer isn't light. Any kind of cancer isn't light. Abuse isn't light. Traumatic brain injuries aren't light. Divorce isn't light. The loss of a loved one isn't light. Paul is making a comparison. He is saying that the eternal weight of glory, our affliction is preparing for us, is so big that the suffering we experience here will seem small in comparison. Paul isn't making a point about the weight of our afflictions. He's making a point about the weight of glory that is to come. Do you know that you have a crown waiting for you in glory? 
Do you know that you have some shoes waiting for you in glory? I'm going to be wearing a size 15. Come on, somebody. There's a robe waiting for you in glory. There's an apartment in the New Jerusalem with your name on it. And when the holy city comes back to planet Earth, you can build your own place. What do you think about that? The Burj Khalifa in Dubai is an incredibly tall building reaching over 2,700 feet in, in height. To stand at its base and gaze up to the top would be dizzying, but Mount Everest climbs to almost 30,000 feet. It's 29,000 feet, 2,029. Compared to Mount Everest, the Burj Khalifa is small. Is the Burj Khalifa truly small? No. It's not. Its height is genuinely impressive. It's only in comparison with something so much greater that it seems small. No, no, your problems are not small. Your issues are not small. Your tribulations are not small. It's just that compared with the grace of God, they are completely tiny. And you say, preacher, I have a lot of sin. Well, then there's a lot of Jesus. There's a lot of grace available for you if you say yes eternal weight of glory remember that paul had a life-changing experience on his way to damascus he saw something mm -hmm. specifically with a capital s he saw someone and just that glimpse of jesus changed his life and now he's writing about this eternal weight of glory we must not misunderstand this principle and think that a Christian can live any way he or she pleases and expect everything to turn into the glory in the end. Hmm. Paul was writing about trials experienced in the will of God. Hmm. Come on, stay with me now. As he was doing the work of God, God can and does turn suffering into glory, but he cannot turn sin into glory. God and sin are not friends. God is not in business with Satan. Deity and sin are not buddies. Sin must be judged because there is no glory in sin. By the way, of itself, suffering will not make us holier men and women. Hmm. Unless we yield to the Lord, turn to his word, repent, and trust him to work, our suffering could make us far worse Christians. You're saying, well, you know, I know somebody who's really bad. You know, it's possible for that person to get bad or for us for that sake. In my own experience, I have seen and witnessed some people of God who over the years will continue to grow more critical and bitter and go from bad to worse instead of from glory to glory. Yes, it is possible to have a critical spirit. Yes, it is possible over the years to get even more bitter. But can I tell you, do you know that Jesus is so sweet? That Jesus can transform the bitterest heart. But I believe still that you can't walk hand in hand with Jesus and still be the same people and the same person after 20 years. After being with Jesus for 20 years, we should know that you have been with Jesus. Something should be different. Our understanding of God should be different. The way that we think about the Holy Spirit should be different. I want to testify to you that when I was a little guy, about this tall, Cam, maybe maybe this tall, maybe somewhere between here and here, as a four-year-old, 
I thought, um, this is the first time I've ever said it, all right, publicly. I thought, just, just love me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, right? Just love me. Just love me. I thought, I don't know where I thought this from, Elder, that the Holy Spirit was a man wearing a robe. He had a pillow for a head, and he crawled all around the house protecting the house. Well, what? I don't know. What does he look like? Well, he doesn't have a face, somebody said. And, and my understanding of people back in the, in the Bible day, based on, I'm sure, on something I must have seen, was that, was that people wore robes. So my picture of the Holy Spirit is a robed man with no head with a pillow kind of crawling around the house, on the outside of the house. Okay, I want to share with you that that's where I was when I was four years old. Right? But that picture of the Holy Spirit has changed over the years. We cannot have been with Jesus for 20 years and you still think the same thing about God because Jesus gets better day after day after day. Jesus gets better as we study the Word of God. Amen? Someone might be wondering here, how? How could we look at things that are invisible? We're going to come back to this question but not before we explore the context, the water of what's happening in Corinth, at the church at Corinth, and these letters that the Apostle Paul is writing, this letter from, from Ephesus. It's the key to understanding why he is saying, or the context of why he says light affliction. What's the context of him saying light affliction? And will set the stage to perhaps help us to see things that can't be seen. What's happening in Paul's life at this time? According to the Word of God in Acts of the Apostles, chapters 18 and 19, Paul's first visit to Corinth was made in the last phase of his second missionary journey. And after leaving Athens, he came to Corinth where he met with a Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla, recently arrived in the city after being evicted from Rome. They, along with all other Jews, had been commanded to leave the imperial city under an edict of Claudius, generally believed to have been promulgated around A.D. 49. So we're right now around A.D. 49, A.D. 50. Um, Paul applied the same trade of tent making or leather working as this couple. So he worked with them during the week, and every Sabbath then he argued and persuaded Jews and Gentiles in the synagogue, according to Acts 18, verses 1 through 4. At some time, the Jews in Corinth reject Paul's message. Hmm? They oppose and then they revile him. Paul thereupon turns his full attention to the Gentiles of the city, many of whom believe and are baptized. Let me just pause here for a moment to say that there are thousands upon thousands of people in Ipsy and in Ecorse who haven't heard about Jesus. They might have heard about Jesus, but maybe not in the fullness that Jesus wants them to know. And if something isn't working with a couple that you're working with or someone in your neighborhood, there are other people who are willing to hear the Word of God. And they're ready to receive a message of hope. No matter where you are, let your light shine. So the apostle apparently felt vulnerable in this situation and afraid, we are told, in Acts 18, 9 through 11, we are told, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. 
but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man shall attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Following this, he stayed another 18 months longer teaching and preaching in Corinth. But did you hear that word, Ecorus and Ipsy and friends online? Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of whatever the enemy has thrown at you. And over these last two years, it's everything plus the kitchen sink. Don't be afraid. Speak and don't be silent for the Lord is with you. In this atmosphere, this, this libertarian or this democratic atmosphere, which pertained in Corinth, according to 1 Corinthians verses chapters 5 and 6, one of the church members committed incest with his stepmother. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1. Hearing of this, Paul is scandalized and insists that some action of discipline be taken by the church against this offender that they deliver this man uh, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5. This demand was heard by the church when, the, when 1 Corinthians was received and read, when that first letter that we call the first letter, which was really the second letter, was received. Sometime afterward, Timothy, sent by Paul, according to 1 Corinthians 4 and 7, chapter 16, 10 through 11, arrived in Corinth. Apparently, he discovered that all was not well in the church. Paul's demand for disciplinary action had not been complied with. And then this incestuous person himself was resisting Paul's authority. Timothy returns to Ephesus where he informs Paul of the state of affairs. The apostle then made his second and painful visit, he calls it, to Corinth, according to 2 Corinthians 2.1, during which... He expected to resolve the problem with the support of the church. However, when in fact, what really happened was that this man who was in sin, far from being brought to repentance or intimidated, mounted then a personal attack against Paul and questioned his credentials and authority. The church members did not come to Paul's defense as he expected they would. 2 Corinthians 2.3 Church, did you know that the same grace that saves also transforms? Mm. Titus 2 verses 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God, you know I love preaching on grace, right? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ whom gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good so he say pastor aren't we being aren't we being gracious with that person we need to be gracious. We need to be more gracious. And after you're gracious, be even more gracious. But never forget that being gracious or the grace of God doesn't give anyone license to sin or to continue in sin. The same grace that did the miracle of uh, saving can also transform, can also wash. Back to the church drama at Corinth. This questioning of Paul's credentials and authority 
was done not in a vacuum. Even at the time of the writing of 1 Corinthians, Paul was aware that his apostolate was under critical review in Corinth, according to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5, and that questions were being asked by some who felt a certain antipathy towards him, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 18 through 21. There seemed to have been others lurking in the background as well, those to whom Paul referred later in 2 Corinthians 2.17 as peddlers of the word of God. That brother used strong words. He said, For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ whose disgraceful, underhanded ways the apostle refused to intimidate or to imitate, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, but who seemed to have come to Corinth armed with letters of recommendation and criticized Paul's lack of worth. Brothers and sisters, do you know that church drama didn't start in this century? While these people would hardly support the sin of that man, right? They didn't support it. Their own muffled criticisms of Paul could have been used by the offender as extra ammunition when he mounted his attack against him. If this was the case, we have one clue as to the reason the Corinthian church as a whole did not spring to Paul's defense. Though they may have agreed with Paul with the principle that the offender should be addressed they were at the same time entertaining questions about him, about his authority, questions raised by others but taken up and used against Paul by the offender. While the members of the church were considering such questions about Paul, they would feel pulled in two directions and so were rendered powerless in the situation with the result that they did not support Paul as he expected that they would have. As I wrote this very thing to you, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, 3, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have had joy. Having confidence in you, all that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul thus found himself without support in Corinth and was forced to withdraw without resolving the problem, but not before uttering dire warnings of the action he intended to take subsequently. He returned to Ephesus where he wrote this severe letter out of much affliction and anguish of the heart and with many tears, according to 2 Corinthians 2.4. That's the light affliction that he's talking about. That's the context of our text of what's going on in Corinth. There's almost a church split and when wrong was being done, the church was silent. Mm, that's the affliction. When you are doing a work for Christ, do you know that the enemy of soul will take notice? And that the enemy of soul will come for you? But don't be afraid, Ipsy, and don't be afraid, Ecorse. Strengthen the inner man. That's our text today. How does that happen? First, understand who you are and whose you are in the Lord. Who are you really? How do you strengthen the inner man? Ephesians 3, 
we get this answer by using the Word of God because the Word of God explains itself. Remember, it was while he was in Ephesus that he writes to the church in Corinth. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19 give us a picture of how. How does one strengthen the inner man? He says in this chapter, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's starting. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Hmm. Paul is saying that the first thing that, he's, that he has to do to strengthen himself, this inner man, the person that, that, that is in who he is, right? His real person, his mind, is submit himself, hupotasso, right? The word in Greek, to the will of the Father. Submit yourself first to God. If God wants you to go to the right, we shouldn't be going to the left. Brothers and sisters, do you know that obedience brings its own blessing? That when you obey God, sometimes there are situations that are avoided in life that could have been avoided if you simply followed God, trusting Him and obeyed. I want to share with you an experience that we had, that Dana and I had, my wife Dana and I had years ago. When we had one baby, we had just graduated from Andrews, um, with our undergraduate degrees, we graduated together. We had uh, Kayla, our first baby, our oldest baby, and um, just one baby at that time. And we were looking for work. But it was, it was rough. Times were tight. Do you know about tight times? <laughs> times were tight back then, too. So we were, we were living in some tight times. We were looking for work and looking for work and looking for work. And we couldn't find work. But I, I'm a firm believer that even when you can't find work, I'll find work somehow, right? Whatever I can find, I'll take. And that's just what happened. So I got a lot of these temporary jobs to put food on the table while Dana was taking care of the baby. And um, I had my resume in different places. And finally, somebody called me in for an interview. I was like, come on, God is good, somebody called me in for the interview. I sat down and it was a community job that was in line with um, the area that I had training in. And the person who was the vice president of the company was looking over the resume. Uh, we're having a great conversation. He's telling me that I would be a great fit for the job. I'm like, yes, praise God. I'm smiling inside, right? Because I was like, we need this job. And then the brother starts telling me about the benefits. Come on, somebody. They had life insurance, 401 this, 501 this, and they had health, and they had dental. 
I was like, praise the Lord and forget not his benefits. Come on, somebody. I was so happy. He went and he, uh, he showed me where I'd be sitting, my desk, right? This is your desk. I was like, wow, you know, on desk, a little space there. Had a big computer back then, right? Remember the computers back then, right, in the early 90s? I was like, wow, look at the size of this thing, right? And I was like, God is amazing. God is amazing. Um, I went over to the water cooler. I was seeing the guys at the water cooler. I looked across, and one of the guys at the water cooler uh, gave me the double guns. You, you know the double guns, right? They go like this. And I said, look, and I, and I was looking around to see if he was, and I looked around, it was just me. And I said, so well, since he gave me the double guns, I was going to give the double guns back to him. I went, to him too, right? So that's, that was, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, right? I'm in. The guys like me. And so I just go back home and I'm, and I'm explaining to Dana, listen, they want to, they want to set me up with another interview with the president, right? Uh, but they like what they see, and they're saying that the thing is a shoe, and we're like, come on, God is amazing, right? Go to the next interview. Now, before, I want to share with you, before I share this part, that I had shared with the vice president that I could work for him six days out of the week, but on the Sabbath day, it's not my day. I wouldn't be able to, 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 to work, right? And he's like, Dan, don't worry about that. We want you. We've got you, Dan. So we go to see the president, right? And the president kind of goes through the same repeat and it says, Dan, out of all the things he says, the thing that sticks out is, Dan, we're going to need you to come in on Saturdays. Right? We're talking about trusting God and obeying him, right? And like really, you know, I can't explain to you how much I really thought that this was the job, right? This is the job that we've been praying for. and has all the benefits, all the things that we need, and we did need it, right? So, so I explained to him, well, listen, we had, you know, when we had the first interview with the, with the vice president, we explained this, and he said it was fine. He said, no, no, Dan, I'm sorry. Him, he misspoke. We are going to need you to come in on Saturdays. But, Dan, you need to know that it's not every Saturday. Maybe, like, every five or six Saturdays, just come in for the morning, um, and that should work out, right, Dan? Seeing the invisible. Yeah, I can see right in front of me this job being offered. I can see my desk. I can see the water cooler. And I can see the benefits. I just have to say yes. And I just have to sign. Do you see the tension? It's right there. You just have to take it. Won't God understand, right? Have a family, you've got to get milk for your daughter today, right? You're not going to provide for your daughter? So I said, you know, this is, this is not going to work for me. Is there some, you know, I, you know, I can come in on a Sunday, right? So you've got me for six days, right? He said, and well, Dan... And he understood that it was because of my faith. And then he says, right, to me, um, can't you just go to your priest and get him to give you permission to work on those Saturdays? And I thought to myself, go to a man and ask a man to reverse what the good Lord Almighty Jehovah said? I didn't say it like that, Cam. I didn't say it like that. But I said, that's... 
you know, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Well, he said, Dan, it's a deal breaker. Either, either you work on Saturdays or we can't, I can't give you the job. And I said, I'm, you know, I've got, I've got to stand by what I believe, by my faith. So I won't be able to come on. But he said, man, I'm sorry, Dan. I really want to give you this job. And I said, listen, man, you have a good day. I can't tell you what my shoulders look like. I walked out of there. <sighs> I was devastated, right? I knew I was going to get this job. Devastated. I get back in my little Ford Escort. For those of you who are 18 years of age or older or younger, you don't know what that is. You don't know what that is. The car was a little bit bigger than I was, just a little bit. I got in that thing, <sighs> tried to close the door, <clears throat> close the door. <clears throat> Drive home. I'm standing outside the apartment, keys in my hand. I don't want to come inside, right? I don't want to come inside and have to face Dane and explain, like, there's no job. So I'm like, I'm fiddling with my keys. I'm fiddling with finally, like, I just put the keys and I turn. I'm like, well, how am I going to explain this? And she can, as soon as I walk in, immediately she can just read me, read my body. She just reads my body. She's like, Dan, what happened? What happened, babe? What happened? So I explain what happened. I tell her, listen, this is, this is how it was, and this is what the brother wanted me to do, but I said no. And can I share with you what it is to have a woman of God? Let me share with you what my beloved told me at that moment, when my shoulders were lower than just low like this. Right? So she said, she grabbed me by the shoulders, right? And she's like, Danny, you did the right thing. I'm proud of you. God's going to provide for us. Come on, somebody. That's a woman of God. You're going to marry somebody? Marry somebody who loves Jesus more than anything. So that's what we did. We, we prayed. I went and talked to my pastor. I said, listen, what do we do here? Pastor said, let's just pray. You know, you can, you can follow up with the EEOC, right? Because it doesn't sound like the thing that they did was appropriate. I did that, kind of left it alone. And so I, and in my heart, I'm thinking, okay, well, how is God going to restore the situation so I think that something went wrong here that shouldn't have gone right, that shouldn't have gone the way that it did. So I thought, well, maybe it'll get resolved in a week. It didn't get resolved in a week, even though I went to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. It didn't happen. It didn't get resolved in a week. It didn't get resolved. And weeks turned into months. I said, well, you know, just go on. And shortly after that, we received a call to go back to grad school at Andrews. So a few months later, we're now applied, and we're both now working on our psychology graduate degrees, Right. So Lord opens a door and they, you know, they hire me on to do different things for the university. But we move from that area, right? And life goes on. And I'm still thinking, I don't know what happened, right? But there it is. There's no resolution. Months turn to years. Two more children come. One day then, watch this. After the third baby is now, I think she was mobile. She was walking by now, right? We get a call, and apparently what happened in that interview situation was that my civil rights had been violated, apparently. That the person that they hired didn't have the qualifications. They did a, a deep dive into this thing, and they said that accommodations should have been made because of my religious beliefs. Interesting. More to the point, the attorney said. The judge looked at the situation and said... That the people that, that should have hired, watch this, 
the people that should have hired me back then owed me back pay. Mm -hmm. They owed me back pay for all the years that I would have been working there. And then do you remember the benefits? Remember how we talked about benefits? The judge said that those benefits translate also to financial blessings, that they have a monetary response. And they have to respond by giving you those benefits as well. Come on, somebody. And I said, I said, what? Then they, then they, they said, you need to come and pick up this check. I said, what? The check for what? The check for what you would have gotten if you would have gotten hired that day. There was, I had never seen a check with that many zeros in it. Are you listening to me? I looked at that check and I looked at the name next to the check and the number and I was like, this is, this is Dan. This, he said, yeah, it's you. Is there another Daniel coming? I said, no, it's you. That's yours. And I said, have mercy. Praise God. God just wants you to be faithful and to obey him. Over the years, I have gone through this thing in my mind because I knew this job was for me. Watch this. That job was never for me. And it took me another 10 years to figure that out. No, it wasn't that at all. So it's like, so then why, why Lord, why'd you give me the interview? I just need you to go to the interview and let your light shine. Have nothing to do with, the, with your job. Now, you can compromise and get the job. Or you can stand for me and let chips fall where they may. You have no idea what I'm doing with this. Carmona, you have no idea the docket and the hands that this will go through and the people that are going to read this. And there are some people in Ipsy and Ecorse and 15 years from now, you have no idea who they are. And they need to know that people still need to believe in Jesus today and to obey and to follow him. And he will take care of whatever's going on. And somebody might be saying, well, you know, I did that with my job. I did that with my job and I didn't get that check. And, I, you know, and, and nobody hooked me up. Nothing happened. I'm saying to you that in the end, God will restore. We don't know how he's going to restore. It's not our job to tell God how to restore us. We just need to know that God restores. The invisible thing is what? That you can't see in the room is that we can't see in this room. The angels of God are cheering for you. Come on, you can do this. Don't worry about that job. God has another job for you. Do you know there's another entire line of ministry that's coming that's not this? There's something else that Carmona, that God needs you to do. Just stand right here and tell them about Jesus. Sometimes God asks us to do, and all we're doing is going to put gas in the tank. And we thought that we were at Shell Station by coincidence. Just let your light shine wherever it might be and believe. So how? How can you look at things that are invisible? And invisible? Answer by faith. Come on in. Come on and play for me. When you read the word of God, Pastor, come on, you've never seen, we've never seen Christ or heaven, yet we know they're real because the word of God tells us so. Faith is the evidence of things not seen because Abraham looked for the heavenly city. He separated himself from Sodom, but Lot chose Sodom because he walked by sight and not by faith. Who is God in your estimation? Do we see the invisible? Believe in God. Believe that his word is sure. Believe that the curse can be reversed in your life. That we're living in a curse doesn't give us license to continue living in the curse. When Jesus died on the cross, taking the curse and becoming the curse for us, believe that his purpose will be fulfilled in your life and in the life of your family. Believe that when you wake up this morning, this week, we will be remembering that final week before Jesus went to Mount Calvary. 
How can we see the invisible? Believe. What really matters is what is eternal and permanent. These are the things that matter. Only with the eyes of faith can we see this. We want to begin this journey of seeing things that we can't see by faith. Believe that God will do it. Believe that in the end there's a crown waiting for you in glory. And that eternity already starts now. If that's what you want, you want to see things that are not seeable. Through faith, I want to see you raise your hand. I'm appealing to you now. A believer's help is not in this world. It is in Jesus Christ. Father, you see the hands. Let's pray. Father, you see the hands. Bless your people. Help us, God, to rely on you, to trust in you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Oh, God, we're resting in your promises today. Bless us as a people as we surrender to you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say amen and amen.